Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a couple of years ago there was a popular a reality TV show called Dirty Jobs. Uh, in each episode, a man named Mike Rowe tries out some kind of difficult or extremely messy work. At uh, one time, he needs to scoop up uh, toxic sludge. On another occasion, he has to harvest bat guano. Uh, I think you get the idea. I won't go into any more details. Now, there are two common things about all the dirty jobs Mike Rowe uh, tries on his show. The first thing is that all the jobs are extremely unpleasant. But the other commonality between them is this. The people who do work at those jobs on a regular basis are by no means volunteering for their position. They get paid for what they do and for good reason. No one in their right mind would do that work for fun or if he didn't have to. Now, there are no episodes of Dirty Jobs where Mike Rowe has to wash other people's feet. But that kind of work would definitely fit the show's theme. It's unpleasant. It's dirty. And frankly, no one likes to do it. Yet what do we have in our text this morning from John's Gospel? We see the Lord Jesus doing just that. We see him doing the job no one wanted to do. But here's the thing. Jesus did do this work voluntarily. No one paid him a dime to do it. No one forced him to wash the disciples' feet. But he willingly and lovingly washed the feet of his disciples. And the Lord Jesus also provides us with some important lessons as a result. So as I preach you God's word from John 13 this morning, I'll do so under the following theme. The Lord Jesus demonstrates his servant attitude by washing his disciples' feet. And we will look at three main things in connection with that theme. First, we'll look at uh, a loving Savior. We'll see also a resistant disciple. And finally, we'll look at a perfect example, perfect example in Christ. John chapter 13 Uh, forms a transition point in John's gospel. The book opens, in John 1, by making important statements about the Son of God to the readers of this book. It says, all things were made uh, by him, through him. Uh, The Son of God was with God in the beginning, and it also says that he himself was God. Important statements. The rest of chapter 1 and all throughout the book of John until chapter 12, we see demonstrations of how these things about the Lord Jesus are true, how those statements about Christ are true. Jesus gave many miraculous signs to show who he was, that he came from the Father and that he was one with the Father. Now, The Lord Jesus made that perfectly clear in all the things that he did and said, but sadly, chapter 12, verse 37, describes the unbelief of many. We even witnessed the things the Lord Jesus did, and it says there, though Christ had done so many signs before the people, they still did not believe in him. And so chapter 13 then transitions from establishing who Jesus is by his signs 
to the most important part of Jesus' work, his death on the cross, the preparation for his death on the cross. And it says in our text that Jesus' hour had now come. This is something that has been building to, uh, throughout the Gospel of John that, first of all, Jesus' hour had not come. You can see that multiple times in John's Gospel, but now in chapter 13 it says, Jesus' hour had now come. Things were coming to a climax. Jesus knew it was time for him to depart out of this world to go to the Father. His crucifixion was coming. And verse 3 then adds these words. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So quite a remarkable statement, right? Every single thing in creation, the Father had given into the hands of his Son. But look now at what the Lord Jesus does with that authority and that power. All things were given into the hands of Jesus, but he would use those same hands to wash his disciples' feet. The most menial task. Our text puts it like this. Jesus rose from supper. He lay aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You see, um, much of the Gospel of John is focused on answering the question, you know, who is Jesus? Or answering those statements that Jesus is truly God, one with the Father. And this Gospel indeed shows that He is one with the Father, equal to God the Father. But the question we see answered in this text is, what is Jesus like, the Lord Jesus? What is He like? And this act of washing the disciples' feet shows he is supremely humble. That in the core of his being, he has a servant attitude. He's ready and willing to serve at all times, no matter what. You see, washing people's feet in this time in history, in, in the land of Israel too, was strictly a job reserved for slaves. And it's not surprising either. The sandals they used uh, left the people's feet exposed to the elements, and they traveled here and there on dusty, dirty roads with plenty of rubbish all around, and all that would make for some awfully dirty and smelly feet. And when there was no slave around to wash their feet, you just assumed that no one was going to do it. But now here is the Lord Jesus, taking on the job of a slave, doing the job that no one wanted to do. And that shows something yeah, immensely powerful uh, about our, our Savior. You know, they say that absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that means when people are given unlimited power, even people who are generally moral people, they so often use that power to serve themselves and to hurt others. And they want to hold on to their power at all costs. And sadly, we see many examples of that throughout history. And that tendency will live in our hearts too. 
If we're suddenly given lots of money or lots of power, it's hard to fight the temptation to use it for ourselves and for our own gain. But look now at Christ. He is one who truly had absolute power. The Father had given all things into his very hands. But he used it to serve others, to serve his disciples, serve even his enemies. After all, look at what it says in verse 2. During supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Judas was around that table at this time too. And the Lord Jesus was fully aware that Judas was about to betray him. He knew it. And verse 11 makes that clear when it says, Jesus knew who was to betray him. But here is Christ, washing even Judas's feet, serving even his enemies. And in this act of washing the disciples' feet, we see also not just the, the deep humility of Christ, but his wonderful love. He was about to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. The excruciating suffering of the cross for our sins lay just ahead of him, and he knew that was coming. But he didn't say to himself, you know, you know what, guys? I have all this tough stuff coming up. It's time for some me time. You guys stay here while I try to get as much enjoyment out of life before I die. No, he continued to serve, even knowing that that terrible time was coming up right ahead. And this is why it says in our text, having loved his own who were in the world, the Lord Jesus loved them to the end. And that could mean two things. It could mean that Jesus loved his disciples right to the very end of his life, and that's true. He didn't stop showing love to them, but kept going until his very last breath. And this act of foot washing, of doing the work of a slave, foreshadowed his greatest act of service on the cross. He kept serving them and loving them to the very end. It could also mean that Jesus loved his disciples to the uttermost. That is completely. And he showed them the full extent of his love. And while it's hard to choose between these two options, both of them are true. The Lord Jesus did love his disciples and us right to the very end of his life till he exclaimed on the cross, it is finished. But certainly he showed us the full extent of his love. It's displayed in this foot washing, but foreshadowed by or to his work on the cross. He died for us and in his place. That's a full extent of his love that brings us to our second point. Now, while the Lord Jesus was doing this, we aren't told what the disciples exactly thought in their hearts as Jesus began to, to do this. As Christ took off his robe, he filled the wash basin and got to work. Most likely, they thought, what is Jesus doing now? Why is he doing this work of a slave? They sure weren't going to do it. Why is the Lord Jesus doing it? But, as we see uh, in a little bit, this certainly was the case what one disciple was thinking. That was the disciple Peter. 
Verse 6 says, When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, he, he resists this act of service from Christ. Why does he resist? The most likely answer is that Peter still does not understand the nature of Jesus' person and his work. Yes, he fully understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He confessed that earlier. However, he is still viewing that reality through a worldly mindset. Peter still doesn't realize the kingdom of heaven works differently than the kingdom of men. And that's why Peter's words in the Greek place the emphasis on the pronouns. Lord, you, you are going to wash my feet? Seem completely backwards to Peter. This should not be. You see, when it comes to human kingdoms and human power, the the highest people, the most powerful, they are the ones who get served. As Jesus says elsewhere, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over the people under their authority. They would never stoop to this lowest of lows by doing this demeaning work of a slave. And Peter is viewing the kingdom of heaven and Jesus' lordship through that lens. And so when Jesus replies to Peter's initial hesitation by saying, no, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but afterward you will understand, Peter responds back emphatically, you shall never wash my feet. Or to translate it in a way that perhaps gets across uh, the meaning in a, in, a, in a better sense, it's almost as Peter is saying, There's absolutely no way you're going to wash my feet, not even in a million years. As we see so often in the Gospels, Peter wears his heart on his sleeve. Don't need to guess what he's thinking. But this impulsive reaction shows not only Peter's hearts, but it shows what can live in our hearts too. There's something in us that doesn't want the Lord Jesus to serve us. After all, why, why might that be the case? Why might that live in our hearts too? Well, what does it mean? Well, it means, first of all, the kingdom of Christ is not a kingdom based on earthly glory. And if that's what you want to get by following Christ, earthly glory, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But another thing this means is also that you need the Lord Jesus to serve you. You need a Savior who serves you all the way to dying on a cross for your sins. And that's because you can't do it yourself. You need a Savior. And there's something in us that resists that message, part of our pride. We don't... In our sinful nature, we don't want a Savior who dies a gruesome death in our place in order to be, that we might be saved. It's because it's humbling. It's admitting that we have sinned greatly, and the only remedy for that sin is a Savior who is crucified in our place. But it's what we need. And the Lord Jesus shows this by what He says next. If I do not wash you, Peter, 
you have no share with me. That is, you have no part in me, and you have no place among my people. And so you can hear in these words of Christ that he is speaking of more than just foot washing. Right? He's not saying that Peter's salvation depends on uh, Jesus cleaning in between his toes and his heels or something like that. No. He's in effect saying, Peter, your soul needs to be cleansed by my blood. Do not resist that. Accept it. You need the washing away of your sins by my work on the cross or you can't be among my people. You see, this foot washing was a symbol of that. Jesus needs to clean us all. That's something we all need to realize. We need Christ to serve us in this way. We need Christ to wash away our sins if we are to be saved. And so if we want to be among Christ's people in eternal life, we need His blood to cleanse our hearts by faith. Believe in Him, beloved, and your sins are forgiven. You know, Peter seems to get that message, so he responds, Lord, not my feet only, but then also my hands and my feet. You know, you got to love his enthusiasm, and may the Lord multiply that zeal in our hearts also. But Jesus pushes the brakes again. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And in these words, Christ gives us a good picture of the Christian life. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are clean once and for all through His sacrifice. We have been made perfect forever, says Scripture, through the suffering and death of our Savior. That is our status. And yet we still do sin every day, don't we? And so we come to Christ for ongoing cleansing and renewal as we face continued shortcomings and sins in our lives. Notice also that not everyone in this text was cleansed by faith like Peter was. You are clean, says Jesus, but not every one of you. That, of course, referred to Judas. He did not believe. And what was the result? He was not cleansed from his sins. And so he did not have any share in Christ, and he was about to reveal that shortly by betraying the Lord. Beloved, never go in that direction. We need Christ. Never make the same deadly mistake that Judas did. That brings us to our last point. Now, after he had finished washing the disciples' feet, Jesus gave also an application for us. He said, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. See, the Lord Jesus humbled himself. And he served his disciples out of his great love for them. But he did that not only because he wanted to serve us, 
but also because he wanted us to serve each other. That's what he says here. He wanted not only to serve us, but he also wanted us to serve each other, one another here. I've given you an example, Jesus said, that you also should do just as I've done to you. How can we do that in our lives? No, I think the first thing we should do is to pray for a servant attitude. You know, have you ever done that before? Pray that you would be given a servant attitude by God? You know, it's obvious that, that Jesus had one. He didn't hesitate to do this dirty work. He didn't grumble or complain about washing someone else's feet, not even for a moment. In fact, he didn't even grumble about having to go to the cross. He did it willingly. And above all, that shows his servant attitude for others. So we should pray for a servant attitude as the Lord served us. No, he wasn't teaching us to do the occasional act of service to get it over and done with. To make service a lifestyle. That's the lifestyle of the Christian. One of service. So we should pray. The next thing to do is to look to Christ for strength to carry out this lifestyle. We certainly can't do it by our power. Uh, but, the li- but the living Christ who lives in us can empower us to live as he himself lived. Right? He can change us to, to do these acts out of love. And he will change us. We look to him in faith. You see, faith in Christ gives us also a perspective on life which enables us to live a life of service. What do I mean? Well, if this life is all you have, you will aim to live life for yourself, right? This is all the life I have, so I better live it for myself to get as much pleasure out of it while I'm still alive. But for us who believe in Jesus Christ, everything is different. This life is tiny compared to the eternal life and the much better life that is coming for us, that Jesus has secured for us. And given that's the case, we don't need to greedily clutch on to our own lives. Instead, we can let it go. Happily serve each other knowing what we already have in Jesus Christ. So faith changes our perspective, empowers us to live this life of service. Another thing to keep in mind are the words of Christ in our text. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, look at who I am and look at what I have done. And now think of yourself, who you are and compared with Jesus. You know, if you think you are above this type of humble service towards the others here in this building, and so you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to live this way. The Lord Jesus is teaching us that what you are really saying is, I'm above Christ himself. Right? Think of who Christ Jesus is, also as he's been describing in this gospel. He's the Son of God, the very Son of God. He is one with the Father, equal to Him. He was with God in the beginning, and He is God in human flesh. 
that is what that person has done, that exalted Lord Jesus has done, how could we ever think that we're above doing this ourselves for each other? Look at us compared to the Lord Jesus. The next and final thing for us to do is to actually do it, to put it into practice. Jesus is calling us to action. As we read in 1 John 3, little children, that's everyone, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, we might wonder, yes, okay, but what does that mean? Do we literally need to scrub each other's toes with soap and water? No, should we uh, get rid of the greeters at the church entrance instead and make them foot washers? Well, no, it's not so much uh, this specific act Jesus is calling us to do as if washing feet were the main thing. And to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of happy about that. No offense, but I don't want any of you to actually wash my feet. But the Lord Jesus is just getting across that he's teaching us to do the work of a slave, willingly. You know, don't grumble about having to do unpleasant work for each other. Don't wait till someone else does it. Don't only do things for your brothers and sisters because you're forced to do them. Don't take on my attitude. Do them willingly. Do them spontaneously. Do them out of love. Do them because you want to live the way your Savior Jesus Christ lived. And doing that, in fact, calls us to do more than literally wash someone else's feet. Think again of 1 John 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, right? Not just washed our feet, but he went to the cross for us. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Right? Not just wash each other's feet, but lay down our lives for each other. Remember, Jesus' act of foot washing pointed to something beyond this specific act. Pointed to his greatest act of service, his death on the cross. And so we ought to lay down our lives for each other. And you know what? Doing that not only helps the people we serve, but it also benefits ourselves. It helps us because we will grow in assurance of faith. We will see the work of Christ in our lives, empowering us to live this way more and more. And to quote 1 John 3 one last time, it will mean this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Amen. Uh, let's now sing together uh, hymn 38. We're going to sing stanzas 1, 2, and 4, and I'll especially direct uh, your attention to verse 4, where we call the Lord Jesus a love's example. So hymn 38, stanzas 1, 2, and 4.